And then I look through every opportunity through that prism where it goes through four questions. Am I passionate about this project? Number two, am I good at it? Number three, does the world need that product or service? And the fourth is, can I get paid to do it? Welcome to Personal Finance Cat, where I share my personal take on personal finance. Hey, Mark, welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you so much, Andy. I'm happy to be with you. It's very impressive that you have all these um, trophies in the background. It just means I've been around a long time. Uh, <laughs> a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, I, I, I find right now I'm, I'm getting honored a lot. So, you know, they're not honoring me. They're honoring my checkbook because we've been generous to a lot of organizations. Ah. And so we've got lots of trophies, lots of hardware to, to, to signify, uh, you know, obviously a lot of accomplishment, but also a lot of, um, a lot of uh, charitable giving too. So I, I, I uh, you know, I, as I said, don't, don't pay much attention to that. I mean, that, you know, I, I love what um, Eckhart Tolle uh, said, and I'm paraphrasing Eckhart, but he said, and I'm, the paraphrase I, that was always so powerful to me is, he said, in this world, you have two suitcases. He says, the first suitcase is your egoic suitcase of like, got all these trophies behind me, and I've got, made all this money, and I've had all this accomplishment, et cetera, and all these titles and, and so forth. But when you leave, you can't take that with you. And the other suitcase is, he says, when you realize that who you are is all you've got, then you can decide the kind of person you want to be. And so I always focus on, you know, you know who I'm being. Yeah, that's excellent. I so I think it's uh, probably a good first question to start because I was reading your resume and it was very impressive among all the accolades. One of them is um, from Forbes, which recognized you as the number one financial security professional in New Jersey. And number fifteen nationwide. Number three in the nation. It was number. I was twenty twenty two. I I moved up from fifteen to three. Nice. Congrats. What do you think are the key principles besides what you just talked about, which was I'm sure part of it? Do you think attributed to your success in this financial planning and wealth management industry? I feel like you know. I think you have to know yourself, and I, I always feel that I'm at my best when I'm serving others. Um. And so when I started Northeast Private Client Group 38 years ago and Sequoia Private Client Group, that was my vehicle to make other people's lives better. And so the idea is, you know, I never focused on being successful or I never focused on making money. Um, I focused on, you know, trying to create more value than anybody else. I, I try to focus on, on having as much fun as anybody, you know, going what I do. You know, you spend so much time working. If it, was, if it wasn't going to be fun, I wasn't going to do it. And, and the idea is that, you know, just as I, as I said, I think just making a difference in the lives of all the people we touch, you know, that's, that's what I want to be remembered for. And that's what we, we, we aspire and, and do every day, aspire to do and do every day. Yeah, that's excellent. I've looked at your website as well. I've interviewed a couple of financial planners, but it just seems like what you are doing is much broader than just wealth management. Can you talk about what other areas you focus on? Because I saw even merger and acquisition consultation, for example. Can you give a background on what you do? Yeah, I, I think, well, first of all, I think it's, it is pretty comprehensive and broad. But I think the, the, and I could talk about the specifics of that. In fact, the first book I wrote was on mergers and acquisitions. I wrote that about eight years ago. The, this last book I wrote last year was number one on Amazon called The Ultimate Investment. Um, but, but I think that, it, I think it starts with um, not being product driven or 
or saying, oh, I want to do a merger acquisition, or I want an ESOP, or I want a pension plan, or I want a, you know, an investment strategy or something. I think it really starts with trying to help somebody be the architect of their own future and their own life. You know, sort of a life by, as my friend Dennis Marble says, a life by design. And so, you know, and, and there's common themes, I think, what people are looking for. You know, people are certainly looking for wealth. But I think people are also looking for health. They're looking for love. They're looking for purpose. Um, and, and so the idea is that, you know, ultimately, I think, you know, diagnosis without examination is malpractice. So before you come back with a solution of how you can help somebody grow their business or, you know, we're known as the people that help people create multi-generational wealth. Or we help people who have created multi-generational wealth make sure they keep it generation after generation. I think those are all good things, but I think it starts with what that person wants to accomplish because I think the, the weakness in a lot of the financial plans and a lot, of, a lot of financial planning is their hammer is looking for a nail where they're just trying to, they're basically financial, the planning is basically disguised as a, as a process to get you to sell the product that they have a preconceived idea to, to sell. And I think that it should be exactly the opposite. I think that's bass backwards. And I think that, that the issue on that is really to discover what what the life and what the end result is and what people would like to say. You know, I mean, if you sit down with somebody and say, you know, if we were getting together a year from now or three years from now or pick a time for five years from now, what would we be celebrating? You know, what 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 would you know what 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 is the vision that you have? And and many people have a very clear vision. And then you can help them execute that vision and elegance and excellence. And other people, you need to help them broaden the vision because they don't know what's possible. And so, so, so I think that what you first start is before you sit down and say, hey, we need to do a merger acquisition, like you had mentioned, is you really need to sit down and, cr and make sure that you, you've created a clear vision for them. And by the way, it will never be my vision. It'll be our vision because only an insane person rejects a plan that she created. You know, you can reject my plan, but it's very hard for you to reject our plan unless you're, you know, batshit nuts, you know. You know, <laughs> I, you know. Mm -hmm. A lot of the times the financial planners got a bad rep because they're just trying to sell products that are existing, try to fit in whatever person's plan, and it probably rarely works. Can you talk about how you would go about it? Like, how would you assess what would be the best plan or our plan, our vision? Well, I think, I, again, I think that it, you know, again, in our, our process, I keep it very simple, is I want to spend time with people finding out how they think about their business, if they own one, or their career, uh, their money, their family, their life. I want to find out all the things that are important to them. Mm -hmm. And then I want to, I then will then ask them for some information. And then I want to have a second meeting, might go a couple of hours, where we'll lay out some comments and some recommendations, but a clear strategy going forward. No obligation on our part and no obligation on their part either. But uh, I expect at the end of that second meeting to change their life for the better. Um, and, you know, I, I, you know, I think that's how that, I think that's how that, I mean, that, that's been a process that's been very simple. And, um, you know, I, I think it's almost like the velvet rope at Studio 54. You know, when you're, when there is no obligation, you're not looking for money up front. You're not looking for a contract. You're not looking for anything up front. You're looking just to pour into people and add value. Um, you can't keep them out. Mm -hmm. Who are your typical clients, if there are a typical client? Sounds like they're entrepreneurs, business owners. Well, I, I would say entrepreneurs and entrepreneurial thinking people is what we gravitated to. Obviously, you know, we, we have an awful lot of pretty wealthy 
clients, you know, we have, you know, you know, we probably have half a dozen clients that have multi billions and, you know, most of our clients are probably between 5 million and a hundred million, but we'll take, you know, at the end of the day, I'm in the relationship business. At this point, I've got the privilege right now of helping good people. And we've got a firm that will help good people too. And rather than saying, oh, this is the amount of money you have to have, or this is the amount of money you should make, I would say it's more, you know, that ultimately, here's who I'm looking for. I'm generally, general. I'm generally looking for people that are big thinkers. I'm generally looking for people that are looking to be in a transition or, or transformational, not a transactional relationship. I'm, I'm not interested in transactional people. I'm looking for people that are loyal. I'm looking for people that um, appreciate our expertise. Um, I'm, I'm just looking for good people, fun, good people, that uh, kind people that are trying to make a difference in the world. I mean, I want to make a difference in the world. I want to help other people do that as well. So I think it's more of a mindset. And then I think the idea is that people will say, well, you know, you mostly just help entrepreneurs. And I, I always caution them to say, yeah, I'm, I mean, a lot of our, you know, our, our clients or most of them are, are, are related to some kind of business or entity. But having said that, um, it's more about a mindset than anything else. Remember, it, remember, remember, Andy, it's all BS. It's all belief systems, right? It's all belief systems. And so it, it's, it gets the core of what they believe. And, and entrepreneurs think differently than other people and entrepreneurial thinking people. And I think, I think some people are just born serial entrepreneurs. Some people, you know, want no part of it. But there is a, a majority in the middle that I think would have many entrepreneurial mindsets and traits if they were exposed to it and given the opportunity to, to, to think differently about their world. And that's what we try to do. That's great. There are a couple of um, aspects in your bio that stood out for me. For example, along the lines of the mindset, right? You have something like who, not how approach in the mindset and decision-making process. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Why is that important? Yeah. It's, it's been how we've run our business for 35 years. Mm -hmm. There was a book in place. Remember, if you want to see your life in 10 years, it's two things. It's the books you read and the people you hang out with. Mm -hmm. But there was a book, uh, Dan Sullivan did a book called Who Not How, which is how we run our business. Dan was just so eloquent to name the process of what we do. I mean, he was, he's, he's brilliant. If you, if, I, I, would, I would encourage everybody to look at the strategic coach and Dan, and Dan Sullivan's company, it's been, it is, it's, it's, it's amazing. But the idea is that as a financial advisor, I'm a, I'm not just a financial advisor. I'm a key business strategist. I'm a critical thinker. I'm a financial advisor. And I think that the question that I've probably been asked 10,000 times is how do I grow my income? How do I grow my business? How do I grow my freedom of time? I want to take more time off. How do I grow my freedom of relationships to spend time with the people I want to spend time with? Or how do I grow my freedom of purpose so I have a really meaningful, purposeful life? It's wrapped in one of those questions or couched in one of that, that, that way. And I've always thought that was the wrong question. I thought the right question was, who do we need to collaborate with to grow our income, our business, our freedom of time, relationship, and purpose? So it's always who, not how. Mm -hmm. And so the, so the idea is there have been many, many people have, have, have written about this or, or, other, or other, but there are, there are three types of people. There are Givers, there are takers, there are matchers. And so takers, initially, initially takers have an edge because if, if you're willing to give me something and all I do is take, in the beginning I get a little bit of a head start. But I'm just taking from you and giving nothing back. 
givers are the lowest performers in the beginning because they're giving of themselves and not receiving anything back. Matchers are downright evil to me because they're going to sit with you and say, they'll sit and say, you know what, you can help me, so I'm going to be nice to Handy. But I'm not going to help Joe because Joe can't help me, so screw Joe. But I'm going to play ball with you. But ultimately, givers are the highest achievers, not by a little bit, but by a lot. Because if you don't spend months or years, but if you spend decades pouring into people and making a difference in their lives, you'll have an army of people that want to come back and help. Mm. And you'll have a really purposeful life. That's excellent. You have another concept, surround yourself with the right people. How do you go about finding the right people? Sometimes the easiest thing is it's easier, it's easier to find out who the wrong people are <laughs> and, and not to let them in your life. Um, uh, you know, you know, and as I said, you know, there was a, you know, there was a time when I was like doing a lot of like, you know, in the college years and right after, like I was like doing like, I would, I'd go out with some friends and we'd, we'd be drinking, like we go on the weekends and they drink. What I realized was, um, that it was great. We we're having some fun times. We'd go out on a weekend and have a few drinks or something like that. And I realized that you come back and go. You know, you know, I'd sit with somebody. Let's say you and I went out a couple of drinks on Saturday night. And I'd sit back and go, this was when I was in my early 20s. And I would say, did you have a good time on Saturday night? You know, Handy? go, yeah, I had a great time. And I go, I did too. What did we talk about? You know, and, and you know, and, and, and you know, I don't really remember. I just remember you know, laughing a lot and having a good time. And I'm going, well, I'm not saying that that's not okay to do once in a while. But the idea is that it wasn't helping me get to where I wanted to go. It didn't, you know, it made, it made Sunday morning a little slow. Uh, you know, it didn't allow me to be my best self. And so the idea is that I wouldn't, it's not that I wouldn't say that you shouldn't hang out with your old friends and try to lift them up. But I think one of the things that you'll find is that when you start to create the life you want and you start to have success, um, an awful lot of people in your life, including your family, your partner, you know, your spouse, uh, your best friends will not be happy about it and they'll do everything they can to kind of hold you down. You know, it's almost like crabs in a bucket. When a crab tries to get out of the bucket, the other crabs grab them try to drag, drag them back, back in the bucket. And I think that's what humans do to people. And I think you can't allow that to occur. And so, so part of it is, I just always say, you know, try to get around something that's better than you and let it hit you. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you know I, always, I always try to surround myself with, with the smartest people I can find or interesting people. And, 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 and I think that the you know, that, that one of the ways you can help identify those folks is um, by being a great listener, you know, I, I, being an active listener um, and, you know, figuring out where you can add, add value, you know, um, and I think just being your authentic self, I think, you know, you, you start to get into some of those groups or make some of those connections. And I think it always comes from a place of not, I, I never come from a place where I'm looking to take, although I've received a lot. It comes from a place of always trying to give, you know, meaning, meaning, uh, you know, I always, you know, I, you know, I, I always want to, what I'll call pay my way in the sense that, you know, I always, you know, the question I ask most people is, you know, what can I do to better support you or how can I help you? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think we do, I, I don't think we do enough of that with other people. And I think that'll allow you to help get the, you know, start to get the group around you that, uh, that, 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 that you should have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely second that. I think I have, some friends who are very entrepreneurial, every time I hang out with them, I just feel like the conversations are so meaningful. There's so much for me to think about and reflect upon afterwards. I just feel like 
it's time well spent and I had fun and, you know, we built relationships and so forth. Whereas sometimes for some friends, it's kind of like, yeah, you know, we spent some time, it, it's good, but nothing sort of came out of it. I certainly hope that I have more friends in the first category, but I feel like at the same time, it's also difficult because life sort of happens, right? It's, I don't know about your circumstance, but for me with young kids and a lot of things going on, it's hard to kind of carve out time to, to find those good friends and then to spend meaningful time with them. Do you have any recommendation? You know, I, I mean, I think, you know, part, like I mentioned, the strategic coach, I've met a lot of forward thinkers, you know, being part of that program for, for a long, long time. Uh, I, I find myself, you know, uh, joining organizations that I have an interest in. You know, one of the things that helped me when I was very young, I would say I grew up dumb and broke and suffer in New York. Mm. And, um, uh, you know, that, that ultimately I, I, I created networks, not for the purpose of creating networks, but for the purpose of serving. And I would never tell people to get involved in an organization uh, because they were looking to get business or looking to build contacts or relationships. But if you're your authentic self and you get involved and you support people, you know, remember, you know, or people want, you know, you know, uh, let me invite you into this group or let me help you with this or help you with that. I think what you want to be is why don't you just be the most outstanding version of yourself mm. so that people can't ignore you. Mm. So that people can't ignore who you are and you know, are, you're no longer hunting for those opportunities, but you're the hunted. Because people want to have you around. Because you're somebody that is a quality person who, who is who is adding value to other people's lives. Mm. Not sucking people dry. Yeah, yeah. That reminds me of that book, So Good They Can't Ignore You. It's I, I've not read that. I've heard the title. Tell me about the book. Tell us tell us about tell me about that book. The gist of the book is basically you have to get so good at a certain area that I mean, like the title says, people can't ignore you, right? Because one of the myths that the author is trying to debunk is you have to follow your passion. But if you look at successful people, it's the other way around. They got so good at certain things, they became passionate about it. Steve Jobs is a good example, right? It's not like he was passionate about building computers. It was because he got so good and he produced these wonderful products, he just kept doing it. That's kind of the gist. And it goes along with what you were saying. If you are the sort of outstanding person that has something to contribute, people will be drawn to you. Are you familiar with the Japanese term igakai? No, but that's one of the questions I want to ask you. Yeah. Mm. Tell me about it. Well, it, well to me, I, I look at through the through the prism of, of four, I was at the prism of igakai with four things in it. My good friend and partner, Bernie Stoltz, brought this to my attention, you know, a, a couple of years ago. And I've, I've, it's, it's really, it was meaningful and profound to me. And then I look through every opportunity through that prism where it goes through four questions. Mm -hmm. Is, am I passionate about this project? Number two, am I good at it? Mm -hmm. Number three, does the world need that product or service? And the fourth is, can I get paid to do it? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm not saying I'm not saying some things where I'm giving back and I have to get paid to do that. But I'm talking about you know looking at various business opportunities or companies to buy or companies to help. You know, you know, do am I passionate about helping you? you know, do I have the do I, would I be good and have the expertise to help you? You know, do they really do? Was this does this make the world better? And this and then can I get paid? So you know, I think it's generally got to be for me not a yes but a hell yeah to all four of those questions because remember. The challenge is always time and attention. There's only 24 hours in a day, and I think so many people, the reason they don't reach, one of the many reasons they don't reach their full potential is that they're 
Um, they're spending a lot of time doing things that are not helping them to reach their goals. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. So there's a test about that. Yeah, on our website, you know, we you know, we we have a test that you know, kind of a financial checkup or a life checkup. Uh, you know, th some things we do that our, our firm has created. You know, in fairness, that's a that's a marketing, you know, piece. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't. I you know, I you know, I think it all starts by telling the truth. Um, and so, you know, we've tried to create something to at least people to get people thinking about what their life should look like, mm -hmm. and are they really doing all the things necessary that they do that they do in their life? And I think it's you know, part of it is you know if you were the president of a Fortune five or the CEO of a Fortune five hundred company, and you'd have your own board of directors. Um, for most people who have a small or mid sized company, or for some people that don't have a company at all. Who are their board of directors? Who are the people they listen to? And so I, I always, I may be saying two things at the same time, but I always want to surround myself with people that are very, very smart. I want, I want to surround people that will tell me the truth because a lot of people won't tell you the truth because they're either A, afraid to hurt your feelings, or B, they're, they're riding your gravy train. Um, uh, but the third is then, I think ultimately you get all the information, be open to that advice, but then maybe be your own woman, be your own person, be your own man. Uh, make your own decision based on that information. You know, don't be so arrogant or have the hubris that you know it all. So you you need to be open, and then and then use that as your decision making process, almost like a Fortune 500 CEO would with their board, or the good ones. Remember, remember the good ones tell, the great ones ask. I also want to ask you about this concept called paychecks versus playchecks. It's very intriguing. Nice pun. What's kind of the gist of it and how can people strike a balance between getting paid and also staying in this like constant growth mode? Well, let's, let's talk about the pyramid. And I think we've trademarked it, the pyramid of multi-generational wealth. Mm -hmm. So at the bottom of the pyramid, if you have the pyramid now, I think you need to start with cash confidence, meaning the number one reason why people fail at business or fail at life is because they, they, they don't have enough liquidity. And so you need liquidity both for opportunities and for emergencies. You know, if you have a bad quarter or a bad year, you've got to be able to withstand that you can't change your entire life and business model because you have a bad quarter or a bad year. You need cash confidence to withstand that. But also, where I've made an awful lot of and created an awful lot of my wealth was when I had cash and other people needed cash. Mm. And so it's for both opportunities or emergencies, you need cash confidence. The next level is if you have a business or you're investing in yourself, you're the product, meaning more training, more education, more, more, more resources, or it's your business. The next level of investment, if you only have $1 to invest and only $1, the next level of the pyramid is I want you to feed your money machine. If you own a business, it's investing in your business. And I have a very simple rule. If you're an expense, you're always on the chopping block. If you're an investment, I have an unlimited appetite for investment as long as I can get at least a four or five to one return on my money or more as a minimum. And if not, I generally do not do that. And I want to feed my money machine. Now you say, well, I don't have a business. I can't invest in my business. Well, can we invest in getting that uh, master's degree instead so that you'd be worth more in the marketplace? Or can we, we take a course on leadership or on operations or, uh, you know, on public speaking or on, you know, networking or something, you know, something that would allow you to be more valuable in the marketplace and you get an investment again, at least that you get at least a four or five to one return on your money. Mm -hmm. 
After that, the next level is we, we have pay, we call it paychecks and either free capital or playchecks. So what paychecks are, is I want to help people create a series of assets that will give them either a guaranteed or a highly reliable stream of income to replace their income at, at their job. And I'll call those paychecks. Mm-hmm. But I want to also have another series of assets where we can spend it, save it, we can give it away. But the important thing is it will not be responsible for producing income for our family. So if you have both paychecks and playchecks, that's financial freedom. But there's still one more level. If you can have earned income beyond normal retirement age, mm-hmm. when most of your friends in their 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s are going to early bird specials, worried about living too long, drinking domestic beer instead of imported beer, um, you're a net saver. And that's how you create and take the tax advantage of owning a business. And so, you know, a lot of people, you know, you know, a lot of people, you know, what, what, one of the things that we teach is a lot of people say, you know, I'm ready to retire from active work. You know, I'm, I'm no longer going to be the CEO. I'm no longer going to be the doctor. I'm no longer going to be the lawyer. I'm no longer going to be the, 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 you know, the head of sales. Uh, I've got, I'm going to sell my business or I'm just going to retire. And, and my argument is one of the rules of entrepreneurship, and I've got, I've got hundreds of them, but one is most people get paid for what they do. I want people to continue to, to get paid for what they know and continue to get paid what they know for the rest of their life. Mm. That's what entrepreneurs do. They get paid for what they know, not what they do. And remember, your money has to work while you're sleeping and your business has to produce revenue without you going to work. Mm-hmm. So those, those are a couple of my other rules. Is that the three ways of creating wealth? Or no, 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 no. That's something totally different. Okay. Um, you know, I, I, we don't manage money with millions with an M. One of the things we do is we, we, manage, we manage money billions with a B. Mm. And, and so what I've said for probably, again, 30 years, I've said something to the effect of money markets, CDs, IRAs, 401ks, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Most of our clients will have some or all those assets. Most of our clients will have some or all those assets all their life. But at best, they're inflation-adjusted holding tanks. You know, Bill Gates was on this podcast right now. He wouldn't say I'm worth $110 billion because of my 401k or my mutual funds. Mm-hmm. True wealth is created in one of three areas. It's investing in your business or some other operating company. It's investing in real estate. It's financing deals. I'll leave out divorce and inheritance. You can do it that way too. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about each of them? Because, for example, when you say investing in your business or operations, how is that different from investing in stocks? Because investing in stocks is essentially investing, becoming a small owner of that company. Okay, so so let's say um, let's use something very pedantic in my in my own life. Mm-hmm. So as when I started out in 1985 as a financial advisor, mm-hmm. I did everything myself. I was a one man shop. I I scheduled the appointments. I went on the appointments. I did the planning. I did the analysis. I did the presentation, I did the sales, I did the service. I was a, I was a one man person. I was getting paid for what I do. Mm-hmm. So it, so the next year, when I had a little success in my first year, I couldn't afford a full-time assistant because I was dumb and broke. In fact, my bank at the time was Visa. You know, that was the only person that would lend me money at that time. And, my, my, and they were only willing to lend me $20,000. I was pretty tapped out because I was a kid just starting out in a business. I, you know, it didn't come from any money. So nobody would give me any money to build a business. So I had to, to put it on a shoestring and put it on a, on a credit card. Mm-hmm. And so, but I hired somebody 
and I split them with another advisor and I got them to agree so I could afford them. I think, I, I forget that you know, it'll sound pedestrian now, but it was like probably $2,000 a month was their salary. So I think I had to pay a thousand a month each. You know, maybe in today's day, it might be like 2,500 or 3,000 a month or something like that. Mm -hmm. But the idea is that ultimately, what did it do? It did a few things. First thing is the work that I hired this person to do was work that I was either terrible at or at best competent at, but it wasn't my unique ability. So I was able to download a lot of work. Let's say at that point, that person was making $10 an hour. I was able to load, unload all the 10 and 15 and $20 an hour work to them. So I could focus on my unique ability, which was being, which was paid hundreds or at that time, even thousands of dollars an hour. Mm. And so by hiring that person, if I, if let's say at that time I could have, I'm making up a number, you know, eight meetings a week. Mm -hmm. If by hiring that person that allowed me to have 12 meetings a week, I could grow the business by 50% a year by, by paying a thousand dollars a month to this person. Mm -hmm. so I could have also taken that thousand dollars and put it into the stock market. Mm -hmm. What do you think the return on that would have, would have been, you know, meaning, meaning after, you, you know, I mean, after, you know, not that the stock market isn't a good inflation adjusted holding tank and a good place to park assets, but it's not a wealth creation device. Mm -hmm. Anybody thinks the wealth creation, it is for people who sell stocks. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's not for, for people that own them and, and it's a great place to store value. But it's not creating wealth. Creating wealth was me taking that business, which started as me, and building it out to what it is today. It was feeding my money machine, as I've said. And so it, it's vastly, it's vastly different. Uh, it's vastly different. And then, and now you not only have increased your cash flow, where you're taking home lots, lots more money, but you then have an have an asset that's val very valuable because you now own that business. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, I always like to say, you know, why solve one problem when you can solve three or four? Mm -hmm. And so that's investments entrepreneurs make and entrepreneurial thinking people make is when they invest in themselves. And so that's where I always look first. And I, that's why I say I never start my money machine. And sometimes the money machine is not a business it's you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm not peeing on the stock market. But it's a fine place. To, it's a fine place to have money, but it's not a wealth creation strategy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's hard. There are very few people that really made a lot of money from the stock market, like Warren Buffett, but most people probably don't end up making any money. But, but my argument, though, is that how Warren did it. He didn't, you know, again, he didn't really, he made money in the markets. He invested in companies that he ran and he then used other people's money to do it. That's, it's vastly different, basically. You know, Warren Buffett, you know, might say had the largest private equity or hedge fund in the world or certainly one of them. And so he was making money with other people's money and his own. Mm -hmm. That's very different than me in 1985 or 86 putting $1,000 a month in the stock market mm -hmm. instead of putting it into my own business. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. The second category you mentioned is real estate, but real estate takes initial capital, right, to buy. And I have some rental properties and I have to say that it's a lot less passive than I thought. Do you have a lot of clients who own large real estate portfolio? The people that are not, that are not in real estate, you know, that's not their business. Uh, the, most of the wealthy people, we have to create their own family office mm -hmm. or have very successful businesses. One of probably, probably the most, the, the single biggest place that they place money is they take the cash flow from their business or their money machine. 
and they put it into income producing real estate. And the reason why they put it, and by the way, nothing's easy. If it was easy, everybody would do it. Like, you know, can you go out to your car after this podcast and you have a machine that just cranks out $100 bills as many as you want? You know, nobody has that. Every, everything is work. But, but the thing, the reason I like real estate is one is that you do have to come up with the down payment money, but oftentimes, depending on the type of nature of the re- rental, somebody else is paying your mortgage if you have it and paying your expenses after you do that. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, is that real estate is an inflation adjusted uh, asset because the asset goes up. Also, the rents go up generally, generally. Mm-hmm. And then the tax code makes it very favorable to have real estate. There's something called depreciation, and now there's bonus and accelerated depreciation. So in many ways, real estate is a very tax-sheltered asset against your income, not only from the property, but from other operating income. So you know, you know, one of the things, I'm not getting into a political discussion. I'm not pro-Trump or anti-Trump, but I'm saying the reason I believe that President Trump does not want to show his tax return is uh, three reasons I can think of. Is one, there's no upside. He's just going to get criticized no matter what he does, so I do it. Number two is he, he, he is very charitable in that he gives his golf courses and other things like that to charity, but probably he's not doing a lot of personal charity is my guess. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But the third reason is because of depreciation in the real estate business. I'm sure there were many years where he had hundreds of millions of dollars of income and he was ever able to shelter that income with accelerated depreciation. So he, he's going to show very little tax, tax uh, effective tax rate. Mm-hmm. And so that's why real estate to me is a, is a great asset. But again, too much broccoli can kill you. Mm-hmm. Um, I want I want to be I want a financial balance and fill up all the buckets, but I think that's a bucket that certainly, at least you should explore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes sense. What's the third category again? Remind me. Uh, financing deals, investing in other companies, meaning mm-hmm. I sit on the board and have ownership in in many other companies other than Northeast. I'm the CEO and the founder of Northeast Private Client Group and Sequoia Private Client Group. That's my day job, mm-hmm. running this company. Right. But I sit on the board and invest in other companies where I have a board seat. And in many of the cases, or most, I've, I've made investments into those companies. Mm-hmm. And, but the idea is I've hired CEOs. I've hired uh, professional management. I'm, I, I probably put in 100 to 200 hours a year in running those companies because I, I do have a full-time job and I have a life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I can't run. There's only so many, so many hours in the day to be able to go do that. But I'm making money in those other companies because... You know, operating companies to me are, are, are my first choice in terms of, of making income. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's, that's allowed me to, 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 to create an all our wealth. And we talked earlier about creating a network. The people that I've met on the boards of many of these companies have come onto the boards have not only become very great friends, mm-hmm. but they've allowed me to expand my thinking and think differently. Remember, in life, well, another entrepreneurial mindset is the problem is never the problem. It's how you think about the problem. Most people are immersed in the problem. It's how I, you want to change your mind. You, you want your mind when something bad happens, you've got to look at it clearly because if you don't deal with it, it's going to come back. And you can't look at things through rose-colored glasses or Pollyannish. Mm-hmm. But you also want your mindset to go, what's great about that? And then figure out ways to then, to then move forward and look at that problem as an opportunity. Mm-hmm. That's what entrepreneurs do. Yeah, because you have something about problem-solving too. And that's, like you said, what entrepreneurs should do. Can you elaborate that? Or can you give an example of why problem solving is so critical? Okay, I'll give you an example. Most people, when they fail at something, they they get a cup of hot hot cocoa and hide under the blankets for the rest of their lives and never come out of their bedroom. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. or whatever the you know I mean, that's a, that's a you know that's a metaphor, but it's 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 true. You know they 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 get burned and they're done. They're never going to do that again. What entrepreneurs do is they look at failure as a form of market research. They look at failure as one step closer to success. They look at the fact that if I had not tried these three things that did not work, I wouldn't have tried these two other things that we made tens of millions of dollars on. Mm -hmm. Either you can look at failure in any way that you want to look at at it too. You know, so the problem is never the problem. The problem is how you think about the problem. And there's always an opportunity around that to take that and move it to a better place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, know, and I, and I think part and I think part of the reason I think you know you asked you know started asking you know, what you should be looking from your financial advisor is part of it is you have to see people so if if, if I was going to take on a new client today um, I I need to be objective and see them and and where they are right now but it's also my job to see them at their highest potential and to see them at where not not you know. Not, 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 in a, not in a ridiculous way, but in a real way, organically make an assessment to see them and help coach them up to their highest potential and, and ability to succeed. And because I think people are looking for three things. They're looking for some direction. I want a clear path along the journey. They're looking for some creativity. Some of it's simple, some of it's sophisticated, but it's all mom and apple pie stuff. Nothing under the table, everything above board. And the third is they're looking for companionship. I think that in this world where everybody wants to do everything on their phone, I think people are looking, when you can add real value to people's lives, they're looking for companionship in that you're there every step along the way on the journey. And not that you're not, you're physically holding their hand, but you're there. Because I think the world has gotten so, so uh, clinical and non-personal that I think people are crying for that and they're missing out, you know, how they can, how they can make a difference. You know, like, like I would say, you know, one of the reasons I still like to attend conferences that I speak at is you could probably, with most of these contract uh, say con- uh, conferences, you could get the main stage platform probably on the web where they, they download it. And I could sit down and go, hey, uh, that, you know, uh, you know Hattie gave a great presentation. I gave a good presentation. Somebody else gave a good presentation. And I could watch those videos and there'd be something valuable from that. But at a conference, it's always the sidebar that after the, the talk, it's you, you go for a, for a cup of coffee or you go for a cocktail, and that's when the world opens up. You don't get that on a phone. You don't get that, you know, watching the videos. Mm-hmm. You, you get that because of human interaction and how people can help lift each other up and, and create a bigger, better future for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I definitely agree with that. COVID probably contributed more to that which is unfortunate but it's looking like things are coming back so this is probably a good segue to talk about the five key ingredients to a successful life harmony health wealth purpose and love can you kind of talk about that how can entrepreneurs or anybody actively integrate these aspects in their personal and professional lives well first of all i think you're gonna you have to want to do them but i think that you know the the idea is most people have limiting mindsets remember People, everybody, everybody, including you and I, have core beliefs, but those core beliefs have to serve us. And so I'm not saying those are the only things that people want, but they're just five that kind of stand up to me as things that would be a pretty good starting for having a successful life. Mm-hmm. And I think, so for some people, I think 
and, and I'm not saying as an entrepreneur that for some period of time, you might have to be out of balance in one or more of those. Mm-hmm. Have a full life. You know, it's not like it's even, Stephen, kind of like, you know, totally balanced all the time. I'm saying you may get a little out of balance, but I think in the long run, you want to be pretty balanced. Mm-hmm. And so, so, so the idea is that I think a lot of people have this mindset to say, hey, to give up, to create wealth, I've got to give up love. Mm-hmm. Or, or to create health, I've got to give up wealth. Or to create, you know, like they have these, these, they have these conversations in their head that they can't have it all. Mm-hmm. And by the way, everybody can have it all. But, you know, what people is, they always talk to me all the time about what they want to do or what their plan is. Of course, I'd like to meet the, uh, the next great love of my life. And I'd like to you know, be worth uh, $100 million. And I'd like to, you know, uh, run a marathon and be, you know, be as healthy as possible. Ultimately, very few people will tell you exactly what they're going to do to go do it. Mm-hmm. You know, do they have the discipline? Do they have the focus? Do they have the, are they willing to fall in love with the mundane to go make that, that stuff happen in their life? Mm-hmm. You know, like I, you know, like, like to me is like, you know, uh, you know, you know, like I, I just think, you know, that, you know, when I'll sit with people and someone will say to me, I want to be elite, elite in my business. And, you know, I, you know, I, I think you want to ask people to be, have permission to coach them or permission to, to be honest with them. But if, if I really cared about you and you really wanted to be a lead at something, but you were only putting the effort in to be good or mediocre, maybe, or maybe excellent, you could be mediocre, you be good, you be excellent, but not enough to be a lead. Mm. Would you want me to share that with you about what the things we need to do to become a lead? Because you, you say, I want to be a lead, I want to be a lead, I want to be a lead, but you're only willing to do enough to be good, let's say. Mm-hmm. Or I'll talk to somebody and I talked to a friend of mine not that long ago where she was talking to me. I'd really like to get married again and meet, um, you know, meet somebody that I could spend the rest of my life and have a real love connection. And then, you know, I, I said to, you know, to her, I said, you know, you know, I, you know, I care about you. I said, would you like, could I, you know, do you have permission to, to coach you? You've asked me about this. Now, a lot of people don't want to, you know, don't want to be coached. You know, you, I would never say to, you know, Lisa, I would never tell her, if she says, does this dress make me look fat? I wouldn't say, it's not the dress. You know, I can say that with her because she's, 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 uh, you know, in, in amazing shape and, and beautiful. But, but, but having, having said that, if you have a permission to coach somebody, if it's in that type of environment, or you're thinking, she said, yeah, you do. Well, I've noticed over the last 10 years, as you've told me for 10 years, you wanted to find this right person. I noticed you, you date a lot of married men. Uh, I, I noticed you dated a lot of people that are emotionally unavailable, and I noticed that you've dated a lot of kids who were you were Mrs. Robinson too, and you were having a lot of fun, you know, being 22 years old and you were 45, but ultimately they were going to move on and have a family. And so I had not met in the last 10 years any anybody you've talked to me about or I've met through you that was actually somebody that was marriage material or had the possibility of marriage, and it was like I dropped a, a ton of bricks on her. Not because she was upset with me, but to realize that that had not occurred to her. Mm. So her words were, I want to find this great love of my life and someone to spend my life with. But in her behavior, everything was against that. Or people are doing, you know, allowing you know, themselves to, you know, what is preventing them from having the life that they want now? Not just in their, their financial life, but in their, their entire life, having a life well lived, a life by design. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, way, some people, by the way, you got to be careful because some people don't really want to be coached. Like, you know, you know, they may respond with, you know, two words and, and the second one is you and the first one is not saying. <laughs> you, know, you, know, you, know, so, you know, so you take a risk. You take a risk with that by, you know, but 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 I think that that's the that's the ultimate kindness if you if you have people as opposed to you know uh, you know with you know purple on the street you just want to you know people are strangers or people you're not that close to I think mm-hmm. you know just like you could ruin someone's day you could make somebody's day by saying oh that's a beautiful sweater you have on right that's a great suit yeah. you're, that's a great tie you're wearing or yeah I like your haircut or something not in a sexual way but in a just a kind caring way um, and it makes very I'm great I feel good I feel good about myself. But that's not, but you know, this kind of jugular stuff is, is real, you know? Yeah. No, that's why I love your approach. Cause you started with, do you want me to coach you? Right. That kind of sets the tone for what's about to happen. You know, I appreciate that in other people. And, you know, sometimes people have told me stuff that I didn't really want to hear. Mm-hmm. And, and I got angry, not at them, never at them, but at myself going, you're right. I'm, I can be better than this. You know, I, I say that I say I want this, but I'm not doing what it takes to do that. Yep. Yep. Okay. No, that was, that was a fun example. Thanks for sharing. So two last questions for you. Do you have any book recommendation? Um, I would, we mentioned one of my favorites, who, not how, uh, I like, uh, I, I'm a Malcolm, I love Malcolm Gladwell, anything by Malcolm. So I, I like outliers or, or Freakonomics has made me think differently about things. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of old books that are there. I, 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 um, I, I could look at uh, you could look at you know a million uh, different books that I've 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 uh, you know obviously I, I like my own book The Ultimate Investment uh, so in the, the last one we did it's still an Amazon bestseller was number one last year um, but is I it think, affordable yes yeah okay but I think anything that makes you think and it's not even it's not even like just like business books or inspirational books I think it's it's Ultimately, I'm not afraid to be different. I'm afraid to be the same. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe in competition. I believe in differentiation. So anything that I can read that I can absorb that can allow me to think differently than I do now is something that I want to want to do or look at a different perspective and not be a lemming. You know, not be, you know, if you're using conventional thinking or common thinking, you're going to expect common results. You need to have uncommon thinking to get uncommon results. Yeah. Excellent. All right, last question. Where can people find more about you? Um, well, it, it sounds like, first of all, you, you, you found an awful lot out. You've, uh, you, you've <laughs> done a great job. I think the uh, FBI should uh, hire you as a, as a researcher. Oh, thank um, you. But, <laughs> I don't know if it's good or bad, but yeah. But I think it's great. I think you've, you've done your homework, and I, I appreciate that. But it's, uh, I, Mark is with a K, but my, my website address is mark underscore Murphy, M-U-R-P-H-Y, at northeastprivate.com. And they can they can reach us. You know, where our corporate headquarters is in Roseland, New Jersey. They can go to our website, and uh, yeah. I'm, I'd be more than happy to continue the conversation with anyone that uh, that would love to do it. And appreciate you, and uh, you know, thank you for your time. Thanks thank so you. much, Mark, for coming on the show. All right.